0: So uh, I want to close this series, which, I, like, I'm so grateful. I asked for permission the first week we did this. Like, would you just put out your foot? And if you're a follower of Jesus, would you allow Jesus to step on your toes a little bit? Okay. So we've been looking at different texts that I think apply just, they're very poignant in this time, this this outrage that we're experiencing And we're just asking God, God, is there a different way? Uh, So those of you who are followers of Jesus, this has to be our prayer. Is there a different way to respond? Is there a different way to react? What do you want from your followers during this time? And if you're spiritually unresolved at this point in your life, I hope this just gives you information on what the original message of Jesus was all about. Because the church doesn't always get it right. Like, we, we admit that. But the original message of Jesus was radical. So we ask questions like this. Is it possible, okay, is it possible to... Rather than, this is normal, is we all have a worldview. We're all raised. We all have um, things that were put in us by culture, family of origin, where we typically form our concepts and ideology about the world, and then we read the Bible through this lens. And we ask this question, would it be possible to reverse the order? That means I'm going to have to let some things go and say, God, Could I be as neutral as possible? Could I let you, through the things that you've taught, this original message of Jesus, shape my ideologies? And we looked at this powerful statement made. It's very short, but I would literally say this has changed the world. Where in John chapter 13, Jesus looked at his disciples and said this, a new commandment I give you. Moses gave all the commandments. Jesus said, I am giving you one new commandment. Jesus could have left a list of thousands of things for his followers to do. But he said, here's the, my new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So he said, I lived this out. I loved humanity. I loved my followers in this sacrificial fashion. I gave my life. And now here's what I'm asking is that you would love in that way. In John chapter 17, just a few chapters later, Jesus, before he goes to the cross, passionately prays this prayer. He says, God, As I am in you and you are in in me, the, the, the father and the son, would they be in us? And I don't pray for uniformity, but I pray for unity. I pray that my followers would be unified. And the thing that would distinguish them in the midst of cultural outrage would be this, that they love people who are different than they are. They're not uniform. They don't all think the same, but they are unified and they choose love. Now, here's where I'd like us to go this week. I want us to look at the book of Galatians. And we're going to read two sections, one from chapter 3 and one from chapter 6. And I just, I, all week I was saying, God, what, what do you, how do you want us to wrap this up? And I felt like this is uh, an appropriate way. It gives us some tools. And then at the end, there's just a very specific way to respond, okay? It, Paul tells this church in Galatia, here's what I want you to do. So here's the setting. Paul has traveled throughout the Roman Empire multiple times. Um, He had at least three missionary journeys. One of the cities he goes to is the ancient city of Galatia. And he stops in Galatia and like at all of his stops, people are astounded at the message that he brings. And the message is something like this. The old religions, okay, the old religions of the Greeks and the Romans and every other culture all said the same thing. They said the gods are basically angry and human beings are at a deficit. And what you need to do is through courage, through devotion, through sacrifice, through uh, expressions of love and worship, you try to climb the ladder to achieve the gods. You try to appease their wrath. And Paul said, that's no longer the case. That God sent his own son in Jesus. And Jesus met us at our level as broken human beings. And indeed, we were separated from God. But he lived the life that we have been unable to live. No rebellion towards God, no selfishness. And then he died a death that we all deserve. So now the chasm has been bridged and who Jesus is has made a new option, a new reality for human beings. So he speaks this message in Galatia and groups of people believe. And the phenomenal thing is this, it's not just a few people and it's not just the same people. There are people from throughout this empire, throughout the city, from different social stratus that all believe and accept the message and they form a church, form a church and they meet together. One day, they get a letter from their spiritual father, Paul. He's heard about some of the things that are happening in the culture, some of the challenges they have, some of the divisions. And Paul writes this letter and it's Galatians. And he's going to address something that is just, it would have been, Absolutely mind-blowing because here's the reality. In the Roman Empire, up to a third, minimum a quarter of all people in the Roman Empire were indebted servants, also called slaves. They couldn't pay their debts. They had a business failing and that meant that you became a slave to your debtor. So a quarter of the population at a minimum are slaves. In the Roman world, it's male-dominated. All women are considered property of either their father or when they get married of their husbands. They're subjugated. In the Roman world, there is ethnic tension. There's actually an ethnic tension in the church. It's between Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people. And a lot of the New Testament is them trying to grind this out. Like, what does it mean? Can I not be Jewish, not adopt Jewish culture and God still love me? They're trying to work this out. Then there's ethnic tension in that there's Roman citizens who have spread out throughout the empire to rule and to lead. And they have wealth and they have power and they have influence. And there's other ethnic groups who are subjugated. It just goes on and on. It sound familiar, <laughs> right? There's cultural tension, there's outrage. And Paul is going to write this. And here's what I want you to think for a moment. That you're in a world where all these divisions are natural and you're sitting in a church service and this is what you read. Galatians chapter three, verse 26 through 28. Let's read this together. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul knew this new reality that Jesus asked of his disciples. I want you to love one another. I want there to be unity in my church. And he knew in order for that to happen, something was going to have to change. So here's point number one. Point number one is this. When I am in Christ, okay, that is very important, in Christ, I have a new primary identity. When I am in Christ, I have a new primary identity. This is the way cultures have been. It's not just us. It's every culture. Is that we form groups. And they typically oppose one another. Gender. Male, female. There's always been tension there. There are ethnic groups. This group and that group in the early church is Jew and Gentile. There are social groups, right? There are wealthy and there are poor. There are political groups. One's on this side, one's on that side. There are uh, wealth groups, right? Here's those who are slaves There's uh, that are serving others. And here's those that have privilege and have money. This is just the nature of human beings. This is what we've always done and what happens with these groups. They tend to oppose one another. They tend to have tension. And they tend to separate even farther. So in Paul's theology, he says, there are only two places for human beings to be. Okay, let me describe this. He says, one place for a human to be is this, it's in Adam. He also sometimes will call it being in the flesh. And, And let me describe this for those of us who might not be familiar. He's referring to Adam, the original human being. And he says, here's the problem with human beings is we were born into this world, this world of differentiating, this world of saying this person's more valuable than this person. And that's natural. That's just, that's how human beings are in this reality that I'm a slave to sin and I need to achieve more and work harder. He says, this is where you are, right? And it gets even worse because what happens in this world is you have, ascending and descending values that you place on people. The people who are Roman citizens, somebody who's a male, somebody who has wealth, somebody who is Latin, they would be deemed as more valuable in this society. Yeah, they, it, they contribute a lot. They bring a great deal. Somebody who is of different ethnicity, not part of the Roman Empire. Someone who would be a female. Someone who is poor. Someone they'd be considered less valuable. And it's it's the old classic pyramid, right? Uh, wherever you work, you probably have some form of organizational chart. And I, I remember working at a place where they had an org chart. And it, they put it over the copier and they had it in the break room. And I was down here. And... Everybody at the top third loved the org chart because it reminded them how important they were, right? And when I went to like get a cup of coffee or I went to make a copy, I was like, there I am at the bottom. This organization, every, I answer to everyone, right? My value was less, my salary was less. I get that. That's just part of how human beings operate. So Paul says, this is natural. This is the tension. But he says, there is a new way of doing life. And that's, what part, that's part of what Jesus brought to this planet. So he says, here's the second option, option. You can be in Adam or he says, you can be in Christ. Now, Christ is a title for Jesus. It's the Greek translation of the word Messiah, the Jewish term Messiah, which means the anointed one or the promised one. He's referring to Jesus. So he says, if we really wanted to carry out culturally disruptive, love and unity. Culturally disruptive, love and unity. If we wanted to carry out the words of Jesus, that we love each other, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have to realize that in Christ, there is one group. He says, there is no longer male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. He says, when you have moved over, when you said... I am not my king, I need a king. I cannot achieve God. I repent of my sin. I believe that what Jesus did on the cross covered me. He says, you now move into a brand new kingdom, a new reality. You are in Christ and in Christ, here's how you're defined. A child of God. That is your new primary identity. And in this new reality, There's no more ascending or descending level of value. There's now no more, well, him, her, citizen, non-citizen, rich, poor. He said, in this new reality, the reality that God has designed, there is one identity and it is this. I am a child of God. So I, I want you to imagine for just a second what it would have been like to be in this church service in Galatia when they open up this letter from their pastor, their spiritual mentor, Paul. Because in the room are slaves and in the room are wealthy and in the room are women and and, and men and in the room are all different ethnicities. This has been so ensconced in their minds. It's it's in all of us. We're different, we're different. This is our identity. Let me give you an example. Okay, in the fourth century B.C., Aristotle, okay, brilliant Aristotle. We still study Aristotelian thought, Aristotelian philosophy. We still look back at him in any philosophy class. In the fourth century BC, this is what Aristotle said, okay, this brilliant man. Here's a quote. He says this, for that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, okay, but expedient. It actually helps the culture, it helps us achieve, From the hour of their birth, some are marked out for subjugation, others for rule. So Aristotle said this, hey, it's human design that there are some people who are at the top of the pile and there are other people who are at the bottom of the pile and they were marked for that. They were born for that. There's an ascending and descending level of value. This is is what the people in Galatia have been taught. And Paul writes to them and says, actually... When you move from one kingdom to another, your new primary identity is that you're a daughter of God, that you are a son of God. So in Galatia, they open this letter. They live in this world. Other things identify me. And you have got to imagine that when the wealthy Roman citizen who's a male reads this, he hears it read, he stops, he's like, Oh my goodness, what? Paul, are you saying that my servants, the people that clean my house, people that cook my food, are esteemed by God the same way that I am? Are you saying that people that I've thought, hey, these people are below me, in this new reality when I'm in Christ, they're my equal? Then there's servants in the room. There's people who they give their life to make other people's lives easier. That they have no freedom. And they hear for the first time in their lives that they have value. And they're thinking, so I have equal value. That when God looks down, He sees a son, He sees a daughter. Not a slave, not a servant, not this ethnicity or that ethnicity. He sees me equal. It is a revolutionary, mind-blowing concept. Paul writes a book. It's called the book of Philemon. Um, If if, if you've struggled at all with how do we deal with race, how do we deal with um, historic slavery, any of that. I'd, I'd so encourage you to read this very, very short book. So Paul, culture for hundreds and hundreds of years, culture's not gonna be ready to adopt this idea that all human beings are created equal. Like it's gonna take the, pretty much, right, the establishment of the United States to at least say that. Paul in the book of Philemon writes to his friend Philemon who is a wealthy Roman and he writes this way. He says, hey, I just met one of your escaped slaves. His name Onesimus. Onesimus made his way to me. I've taught him the way of Jesus. Onesimus is now in Christ. Legally, Onesimus could be killed for escaping slavery. And Paul says this, I want you to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. The guy that stole from you. I want a revolutionary way of considering human life, where when Onesimus comes back, Onesimus and Philemon are both sons of God. In order for us to carry out this whole idea of loving one another, we're going to have to get rid of this concept, but it is deeply ensconced in all of us. So what do we do? If, if being in Christ is now our primary identity, does it matter? Like, I mean, some of you in the room, you're like, but I like being a female, but I like being a man. Do we start calling each other gender neutral terms? No, 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 no. Your ethnicity is important to you. It's part of your culture, right? But it is not your primary identity. Your primary identity isn't that I'm native or I'm white or I'm black, or I'm Hispanic. Your primary identity is, I'm a daughter of God. My primary identity isn't I affiliate with this political party or that political party. It isn't that I'm poor or that I'm wealthy, that I am white collar or blue collar. I'm in Christ. This is my new primary identity. I've never, like one of my relatives got a, DNA profile, and I stopped reading after 72 things, like I'm at least 72 different things. That's not even including my mom's profile. I'm basically everything but Jewish, and it's ironic that I spend my life studying an ancient Jewish book. Um, Most, like 25% Hispanic. I can identify with Hispanic more than anything else. It's not really my identity. The only advantage it's ever given me is I was invited to play in a Cinco de Mayo soccer tournament multiple years in a row. Because I just passed the threshold. Part of the upheaval in our world today is this. I'm focused on my political affiliation. My gender, all the gender confusion in the world, you're more than just gender. You have the potential to be a daughter or a son of God. You're more than your ethnic background. If that is your identity, you're going to become more and more aware of that and it's going to drive you farther and farther away. And So this radical, radical concept that Paul introduces to a culture that was not even close to being ready for it is I want you to quit thinking of yourselves. Is, here's the guy with the money who brings, who brings gifts to the church. He's influential. Let's give him the preferred parking spot for his camel when he comes to church this weekend. Hey, there, 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 there's she, there, there's him, there's whatever. He says, I want you to start thinking when you look out It's different. Now, like, get ready for your toes to be stepped on for a second. Here's the problem. This is a beautiful new reality. But this creeps in to the church. Because we've been raised with certain things. Some people will say that Sunday mornings in America is the most segregated time of any event that will happen. Because we still tend to identify things other than I'm just in Christ. This has no room in the new kingdom that God has established. In order to put into practice the words that Jesus has spoken, we have to drive this concept out. I have to realize that everyone, has equal value, that my preferences, my background does not identify me. My new primary identity is this, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am a son of God. And if you're in Christ, you're my brother, you're my sister. And it doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It doesn't matter the level of your failure, how much you've been able to contribute to society. We're one. Now, Paul, later in the book, chapter six, moves into a really practical way to begin to live this out. So this culturally disruptive love and unity. Okay, so, I, I mean, this is beautiful, right? It's challenging. And it helps us to understand what's happening in the world, right? This is, just, this is the natural way of doing things. This is radically different. But how do we actually do this? And I love that in chapter 6, Paul does this. He says, let me give you an example on how to carry this out. Okay, we're going to read one verse. I, I highly suggest this would be an easy verse to memorize. Let it just roll within your soul, let it it teach you, let it challenge you, okay, just one simple verse, Galatians chapter six, verse two, we read this. Paul says, carry each other's burdens and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, the law of Christ, Paul is the only person that uses that term, he uses it twice, it's very specific, it's referring back to John chapter 13 where Jesus says a new commandment I give you. This is what Paul says. I want you to carry each other's burdens. I want you to pick up things that don't belong to you. I want you to move towards other people's needs. Now, here's the challenge with that. All of my life, since childhood, I've been told to pick up after myself. How about you? If you're a parent, if you're a teacher, pick up after yourself. So the idea is this, I am responsible. Like, don't leave your socks in the living room. We had a little Saturday cleaning spree around our house. I'm like, hey, who left their socks in the living room? It's weird. They stink. Take them down to the laundry. Because I want people to pick up after themselves. And that's just what human beings do. It's like, I'm responsible for me. Now, here's what Paul says. Okay, to a group of people who are this diverse, okay, They are very different. They have different tints to skin. They have different political opinions. They have different levels of wealth. He says, in this world, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up things that don't belong to you. I want you to move towards people who have a burden and see if you can help them. He did not say, I wish he said, feel sorry, feel empathy, feel sympathy for people who carry burdens. Just look at them and go like, oh. That looks terrible. I'm so sorry. He says, I want you in this church. Here's a practical way of actually living this out. I want you to move towards people who are carrying burdens and lift it with them. Now, what's a burden? It's this big, broad word. In the original Greek language, it's anything that someone has to carry, that something has to carry. It's what you use when you loaded up your donkey. It's what you use when you were taking things to market. You carry it on your head. You carry it in your arms. You carry it on your back. It's something that you weren't originally born with, designed with, and you carry it. And Paul says this, I want you to move towards people who are carrying something that's too heavy for them. And this is how you actually fulfill the law of Christ. How to love one another as I have loved you. So one of the challenges would be this. Most of us would say, I've got enough stuff to carry on my own. Right? Like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't think I can add much. One of the beautiful things that should be happening as part of our core values is that we grow better together, is that Jesus heals us and restores us. Is that through a process of allowing God's spirit to shape me, change me inside. Over time, I can start to put down some of my own burdens, some of my pain from the past, some of my family of origin issues, some of my own financial irresponsibility, some of the, whatever it is, I can put that down. And then as that is set aside, there's a new freedom in my life to say, that looks heavy. Can I help you carry that? So Paul says, here's what the church is gonna be. Church is going to be filled with people who are carrying their own things. Say, you know what? Can I help carry this? And we don't want to carry this forever. Let's find a solution. Let's find a way out of this. Okay, what is the burden? Is it chronic pain? Is it distress? Is it grief? Is it financial? Burdens can be anything. It's the challenge of raising a family. It's the challenge of being single. Whatever it might be. Can I help? carry that. I'm going to move towards you and we're going to pray that God unloads these things over a period of time. But I am not waiting until I'm completely well. I'm going to carry my burden and I'm going to see if I can help carry your burden a little bit. And in this way, we will actually fulfill the law of Christ. I want to read you this quote. This is a quote from Pliny the Younger who is the Roman governor of what we call Turkey today. Okay, very similar to the region where Galatia was. This is written 45 years after the execution of Paul. Church is expanding. The emperor is Trajan. Trajan is very disturbed. And here's why he's disturbed. Because these followers of Jesus keep expanding. And people are leaving the ancient Roman gods and following this new God called Jesus or Christ. And so Trajan is looking for a reason. He's looking for a way to resist them. And so he writes to Pliny, his governor, and he says, I need you to investigate. I need you to tell me what these Christians are doing, what illegal activities they're involved in, so that we can begin to legally resist them. So Pliny writes back to Emperor Trajan. Notice what he says. He says this. The sum and substance of their fault or error. Here's what I found from my investigation have been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing a responsively song, uh, hymn to Christ as a God. Here's the first thing they're doing wrong. They get up early in the morning and they sing songs and they think that Christ is actually a God. How dare they, those singers. He goes on, and here's the other thing I saw. They bind themselves together by oath not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, adultery, not falsify their trust, not to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. So plenty of the younger says, I, like, I don't know, I looked into it. They actually think Jesus is God and they worship him. And they don't commit crimes. They, 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 they make oaths to live together in unity, to carry one another's burdens They say, hey, I'll be faithful. Let me help you along the journey. This is the best ammo that Pliny can find to write to Trajan. Okay, you might be a critic of Christianity today. I I completely understand that. But if you're a critic of Christianity today, what do you say about the church? Do you say, "Ah, I don't know, they get up so early in the morning, they go to church. There's perfectly good football games on. And then they, they, they don't commit fraud, and they bind themselves together, and they do what they say they're going to do, and they're kind and compassionate, and they carry one another's burdens. Those dirty Christians. What's the current criticism of the church? A little bit different. You know what I want to do? I wanna see culturally disruptive love and unity that takes away all the criticism of the modern day church. Criticism about hypocrisy, criticism about they, they, they value things other than Jesus. What if, just what if we actually took this seriously and said, hey, my background, my gender, those are important issues. My political opinions, those aren't important issues, but they are not primary issues. And when I come into this new kingdom, when I am in Christ, human beings are my brothers and sisters. And I leave all that aside. That is auxiliary. That is secondary. It doesn't mean that it's not important. And I say, in this world, this is a world where we carry each other's burdens. You know what I love more than anything? I love stories of people who carry others' burdens. We have a system in the church. We, we have benevolence. We have a way to help people who are in need. But far superior to that are these stories. I just got this story a little while ago. Woman in the church, single mom, uh, working really hard to provide for her family. And she said, hey, um, she called to thank us for new tires on her car. And I'm like, well, I'll ask around, but like, I don't think anybody put new tires on your car. She finds out this. Somebody walks out after service and sees her car and she has four bald tires. Figures out who the car belongs to. Calls the tire shop. Says, hey, I want to make an appointment for someone. Here's my credit card. Put good tires on her car. The tire shop calls her and says, hey, we've got your tires in. And she says, I I don't have money. I've been waiting. I'm trying to save tires. Oh, no, somebody paid for it somebody's carrying somebody's burden. That's how it can be. And it's not just finances. It can be so many other things. I want to read a quote um, from somebody who is many would say is very controversial, uh, Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian professor. He wrote a book at was uh, extensively read called 12 Rules for Life. And Jordan Peterson is very coy about his own spiritual commitments, but he writes this in one of the chapters of 12 Rules for Life. As a psychologist and as a college professor, he looks back on history, and this is one of his observations. He says this, Jordan Peterson, Christianity achieved the well-nigh impossible. The Christian doctrine elevated the individual soul, placing slave and master and commoner and nobleman alike on the same metaphysical footing, rendering them equal before God and the law. The implicit transcendent worth of each and every soul established itself against impossible odds. Because if I'm stuck in this world, these are impossible odds. In Christ, the well-nigh impossible was achieved. There is now no longer. Because you are in Christ, because you are clothed in him, there is no more slave or free, male or female, Jew or Gentile, White collar, blue collar, white, native, black, Hispanic, Asian. There is none of that because now your primary identity is you are sons and daughters of the king. And that changes everything. I want to just ask you a couple of questions. Number one, what burden can I move toward? I know, I know everybody in the room, you're carrying your own stuff, right? We've got our own challenges, our own sicknesses, our own pain, our own financial stresses. But I want to fulfill the law of Christ. I just want to look. rather be. Anybody ever notice that you can get kind of obsessed with your own burden? <laughs> it's so heavy. Poor me. I say, God, help me to have eyes to see. What burden can I move towards? Second question would be this. Have I embraced the concept of a new primary identity? Please just ask yourself, are you stuck here? Where you differentiate between you and other people based on whatever it might be. Have I embraced this? Have I embraced this for other people? When I don't look at people and say, oh, they are? No. I embrace this. If you haven't embraced that, it will be the most liberating, beautiful thing that you could ever do. And it is what the world needs disruptive love and unity. Last question is this How can I practice culturally disruptive love and unity? In an age of outrage where everybody's mad about something, let's practice the thing that Jesus asked us to practice. Love and unity that disrupts culture, that like diffuses anger, that says you're valuable, God loves you. How can I disrupt culture through love and through unity? Will you pray with me? Jesus, these words written 2000 years ago to a people gathered in Galatia, a church filled with different people Paul reminds them. There is a new way of viewing the world. The old way is natural. It's how everybody was raised. It's the in Adam. That in Adam, different people have different value. But now in Christ, we're clothed. What Jesus did on the cross covers up our shame and our failure and our filth. And now we are addressed as sons and daughters of God. That is our primary identity. I just want to make an invitation to anybody who's watching right now, anybody who's in the room. This is the most important decision that a human being can ever make. If you're in Adam, here's the problem. You're your own queen or you're your own king. You're responsible for being good enough morally to achieve God. If you move to being in Christ, you are no longer responsible for moral achievement. What Jesus did on the cross pays for it. And you are no longer your own queen or king. You surrender and you say, my life is yours. I need a savior. If you were ready to transfer, okay, from one kingdom, the kingdom of Adam, into the kingdom of Jesus, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, I give you my life. I give you the throne. You lead, I follow. What you did on the cross was for me. Change my life amen amen hey for anybody in the room who said that prayer or if you're online would you just click the button it says um i have decided and there's a banner out in the atrium i'd love for you to go there we just want to get a bible in your hand um we want you to help you grow on this so uh, i usually dismiss saying be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of jesus i'm gonna say that again be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of jesus and establish and do and practice culturally disruptive love and unity. You are loved. If you need prayer, there's people you can trust up front. The ushers are at the back. If you brought a gift, you can put it in the basket. God bless you. See you next week.